Man, it is good to be in church, you know. I don't know about you, but like whenever I miss a week of church, you know, due to like a hurricane or anything like that, uh, I, I'm like, man, it feels like forever. It feels like forever since I've seen people. It's been one week. It's been one week, and I'm like, I can't wait to get back in church and see people's smiling faces and celebrate the fact that we still have a roof on this building and everything that's good about making it through a hurricane. Did anyone have fun cleaning up their yard the past couple of weeks? Who, who lost power for more than three days? Oh, more than three days. Pray for these people right here because that's, I just saw on uh, one of my friends had no power until yesterday, just had it restored. And they're not, they're in the HRM. So uh, if you had power, just be grateful for Wi-Fi. I know I heard of someone who just plugged their Wi-Fi right into their generator. Forget the fridge, forget the food. Just needed Wi-Fi. I don't know who that was, but you know, he might be wearing a denim jacket this morning. Well, like Pastor Mike said, uh, we're going to be starting a series in the book. Of, it's a true story. St- series in the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Galatians. That is what this is. Bible comes from the same root word. And when we open it, we need to recognize that it's, it's written to different audiences with different contexts, going through different situations by different authors and in various different languages. So when we approach the Bible... There is a part where we need to understand the context that we're reading. And so we're going to go through the book of Galatians. We're starting this series because we believe that God actually wants to speak to us today in 2022 through a letter that was written some 2,000 years ago, but that it is absolutely relevant and important and challenging and encouraging us for today, however it is that we're going through it. And so as we read this, We're going to be believing for God to be speaking to us, speaking through his word, that it will reveal Jesus, the risen Savior, to us. We don't just read the Bible because it's a good thing to do. We read it because it reveals Jesus. So let's read this together. We're going to read Galatians 1. We're going to start right at the beginning. If you're looking for Galatians in your paper Bible, find the book of Matthew, the New Testament. Keep on flipping Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then Galatians is right there. Just keep flipping. You'll find it eventually. It's six chapters long, so don't go too far or you'll miss it, <laughs> but then just find it. And if you need to, feel free to use the, the table of contents. That's, there's no shame in doing that. We want you to be familiar with your Bible, and if it takes learning from the table of contents, literally not embarrassing. Okay, so shame off. <laughs> Let's read this together. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father, our Lord, and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. That's his intro. <laughs> like You're like, whoo, you preaching, Paul. And this is where he goes from there. I am, okay, so this is, you just got to understand. Imagine you've gotten this letter and you've just read that. And you're like, oh, this is going to be good. It's going to be encouraging. And then it starts with this. I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. And you're like, ooh, that. That had a bit of tone in it, right? You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. 
And by this point, when you're listening, you're like, oh, it's one of those chats. It's one of those conversations. We're, we're getting told off here. <laughs> Listen to this. This is amazing. Verse 8. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one that we preach to you. I mean, that's, that's a lot of confidence in what you're saying. You're like, hey, if I'm wrong, if I stray from the truth, may God curse me. That, that's a lot of confidence that what you have said is accurate. And then he says this, I say again, what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. Woo. There's a verse for 2022. I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but God. I'm trying to win God's approval. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. I don't know if you're picking up on the tone of Paul in this letter, but he means business. He's frustrated. And we're going to be taking a look at this and seeking to understand and unpack it together. So why don't we pray together, invite God's presence to speak to us, invite God's presence to challenge us where we need it, encourage us where we need it, and build us up where we need it. Amen? Come on, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for each and every single person in this room. God, I thank you that they're not here by accident. God, I thank you that we are, uh, as we approach this, that you want to speak to us, that you want to encourage us, that you want to challenge us, but ultimately, God, that you want us to see Jesus and see our lives changed through your son. And so, Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to each and every single heart and mind that my words would fall to the floor, be forgotten, be trampled on, but your words, your truth, your conviction would take root in our hearts and change the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, where's, I'm, I'm titling this message uh, today, um, An Adventure in Missing the Point. An Adventure in Missing the Point. Where's my married people at? Married people, put your hands up. All right. Yeah, there's quite a few. Now, what about people who, you have housemates. You have common spaces that you need to keep clean together. <laughs> Anyone here, you got, you got housemates? And Okay, so a few less people, but married people, we can, we can chat. If, you, if this is not your experience, maybe you used to have a roommate, you used to have a housemate. So you'll understand when I say that we don't fight. We just have lively conversations full of passion, right? We don't fight, me and my wife. We just have lively conversations. And I, I will say this, one of the main conversations that we have centers around whose responsibility it is to clean our house, right? Particularly the kitchen. The kitchen seems to be one of those things where I'm like, well, but I cooked. And she's like, uh-huh. And I'm like, so I got to clean too? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm, I'm tall. So I like putting things up on top of the cupboards, right? I'm like, oh, I don't know where this goes. And I just put it on top of the cupboards. So my wife literally comes home and is like, there is stuff everywhere. And she starts having, you know, a, an impassioned conversation with me. It's not a fight. It's just an impassioned conversation. And she's like, one of the, you know, one of those times where she's just like, Matt, I cannot take it anymore. I'm going to go and hang out with my friends. And I'm like, okay, right? And so she leaves and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to clean this house. I'm going to make sure that when she comes back, this looks spick and span, right? Like it's spotless. And so then I start my cleaning routine. You know what I'm talking about, guys? 
Maybe this isn't just a guy thing. Maybe this is just a me thing. But I'm like, well, if I'm going to clean, I need music to clean too, right? I can't just clean. <laughs> I got to have a playlist. So I sit there for 10 minutes on my Sonos app, and I'm like, what should I listen to? Something instrumental? You know, I land on, oh, yeah, Miles Davis. We'll put on some jazz. Let's go, ooh, jazz, yeah. But, you know, the lighting's wrong for this kind of music, so... You know, I turn off the big lights. I call them big lights when they're in the ceiling. And, you know, I got the one lamp. I'm like, it's a little dark. So I got, I got to go find a lamp. So I go downstairs to my basement. And I'm like, oh, man, it's a mess down here, too. Crazy. So I grab a lamp, and I go upstairs, and I plug in the lamp, and I turn it on. I'm like, all right, now we can get clean, and now we can get clean. Wait a minute. I'm not feeling the jazz anymore. I think I need a podcast, right? Like I need to be, I need to be built up in my inner man, in my spirit, right? So I find a preaching podcast to put on. 20 minutes later, I finally picked one from a great church. And I'm like, oh man, I'm putting this on. I'm going to be so built up by the end of this cleaning. I'm glad I get to clean tonight. And so then I start cleaning, right? And I'm like, oh, look, a screwdriver. Oh, that should go down with my tools. So then I walk downstairs, I get downstairs and I go, you know, it really is bad down in my tool area. I should clean down here first. And I start to clean in the other side of the basement behind a door. And two and a half hours later, when my wife comes home, I hear her come in. She's like, hello. And everything that she was being deregulated by before is still there, minus a screwdriver, plus a lamp. And she's like, what? So she unplugs the lamp. She comes downstairs. She opens the door holding the lamp. And I turn around I'm like, hey, ta-da. And she's like, you spent three hours cleaning a room that no one's going to see. I'm like, yeah. And she's like, you really missed the point of what was deregulating me. You really missed the point of what was frustrating me. And I'm like, but it's clean, Right? But the thing is that, like, when we miss the point, it can be frustrating, right? When someone misses the point and you're like, do you not get what I'm saying to you? It can be frustrating, but it's even worse when they're missing out because of it. Like, when you get frustrated for someone, like, you are missing the point entirely and it's actually causing you to lose quality in your life. You need to do something about this. You need to hear the words that I'm saying. This is where Paul is writing this from. He's where he's writing this letter from. Paul is frustrated for the Galatians. He's exasperated. He is almost like angry as he's writing this. He's saying, guys, you are missing the point. You're spending all of this effort on this different gospel that's not even true. It's twisted. It's not even the accurate word of God. And you're spending your lives on it, and it's robbing you. Come on. Like, he's frustrated at this point. It's like Paul is saying, you're cleaning a room that doesn't matter. No one's going to see it. It's behind a door. When the kitchen is a mess. Deal with the big thing first. Keep the main thing, the main thing, and stop wasting your time on effort on something that doesn't matter. And to understand Paul's passion and frustration, it helps us to approach this portion of Scripture, this book. And as we're starting this series, I want to give you some context for the book of Galatians. And when we, when we approach Scripture, the challenge is that sometimes we read it through 2022, right? Because it's 2022, not 2020 anymore. <laughs> Anyone still say 2020 because you're like, we've just been in a time warp, right? Like, it's still 2020. 
But the thing is that we can read it through the lens of someone from 2020. We read it through our politics. We read it through our culture. We read it through our society. But what we actually need to do if we want the word of God to speak to us is go, who would have read this originally? How would they have understood it originally? What were they going through in order to have this person write it? Who was the person who wrote it? And what was their relationship with these people? And the fancy way that we can say that, and bear with me, is we need to understand the type of literature that's being used. We need to understand the authorship. We need to understand the context and the audience that it was going to. And we need to understand the occasion. Why did they write the letter? So very quickly, we're going to go through this. Don't let your eyes glaze over. Let's just lean in here. Type of literature. First of all, this is, this is a letter. Galatians is a letter. It's actually known as an epistle. And the function of epistles was that there were these letters that these fathers or leaders in the church would write in order to send to churches to help them with theology, to help them with faith, to help them to be strong in situations. Whatever the situation was, it was to encourage them and build them up and sometimes correct and challenge them. That was the function of these epistles. And that is what Paul is doing here. He's going straight after challenging them. But it's because he wants to encourage them and build them up in their faith. So these epistles have very varied content based on the occasion. But they all have the same structure in that they're meant to encourage. So as we read this book, please understand, this is meant to encourage. And the challenging portion, the portion that we're going to say, hey, take a look at your heart and see if something needs to change. It's not because we're up here stomping our feet being like, hey, you gotta be better. It's because we're like, no, no, John 10, 10, Jesus came to give us life and life abundant. And this is meant to encourage you to do that and to live it out. And this specific epistle was written by a guy named Paul. So now we're on to authorship. Who was Paul? Well, Paul was a Pharisee named Saul and, and he was actually not a great dude. He was a very zealous Pharisee, the kind of person who would actually persecute Christians because the Pharisees of Jesus' day believed that for the kingdom of God to come, for God to restore the nation of Israel to the way that it was meant to be in their covenant relationship, everyone had to obey God's law. So you see, we always talk about the Pharisees like they were the worst people in the world. They're just rule followers. But it's because they were like, no, we want the kingdom of God. So stop not obeying God's law. Start obeying God's law so that we can see the kingdom come. That was Saul's passion when he goes and, and he sees these Christians that are starting to talk about Jesus. And he's like, Jesus, no, 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 that's nonsense. That's not Judaism. That's actually, yeah, that guy was a heretic and we killed him on a cross for it. So you know what? Well, I'm going to kill these Christians. And Saul was persecuting the church. He was literally overseeing the stoning and execution of Christians. And he goes and he's on his way to Damascus. He's walking on the road and he's on his way to go and persecute people when all of a sudden he has an encounter with the risen Jesus. And this happens in Acts 9, verse 3. It's going to come up on the screen behind me. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on the mission the mission to persecute and kill Christians. A light from heaven suddenly, suddenly shone down all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The man with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone speaking, uh, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he was blind. 
So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. See, Paul's response to having an encounter and a revelation of Jesus is not to push back against it, but it's actually to go, I've been wrong, I repent, and I'm following you now. That is Saul's posture. And Saul then spends 14 years working with other leaders in the church, people who are further along the journey with him, learning from them, preaching the gospel. And as he's doing that, his, his name is changed to Paul. No longer Saul, the persecutor of the church, but Paul, the builder of the church. And he goes on a missionary journey with his co-worker, Barnabas. And in Galatians, uh, sorry, this is a radical conversion. And much of chapter 1 in Galatians is actually Paul talking about this as part of the reason why he had authority to be doing what he did. He's like, I didn't just hear about Jesus. I saw Jesus. I don't just know about Jesus. I was blinded by Jesus. I didn't just read about Jesus. I heard his voice speaking to me. It changed Paul on the inside and sent him off on a mission. And that's how Paul ends up meeting the Galatians. Paul and Barnabas go, and they start preaching in this region of Rome at the time called Galatia. It's modern-day Turkey. And Galatia was this region that was very diverse. It was full of Jewish people, and it was also full of Gentiles. And Gentile pretty much just basically means someone who's not Jewish, <laughs> because this is written through a Jewish lens. So there's one big category for everyone who's not Jewish, and then there's Jewish. And Paul goes to these people, and he starts preaching. During his first missionary journey, about 14 years after this radical conversion moment, he's sailing around the Mediterranean, he ends up there, and he goes to a town called Poseidon Antioch. And he walks into the synagogue, which was like the Jewish church of the time, and he starts preaching this message. They say, do you have anything you want to share? And he's like, I do. <laughs> he stands up and starts talking about the resurrected Jesus. He starts talking about how Jesus fulfilled the law, and how in Jesus, we are set free from the law, and we can actually experience wholeness. Check this out in Acts 13, verse 38. It says, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. What he's saying is, hey, no matter how hard you tried, you failed. But in Jesus, in Jesus, you're made right with God. Take care then that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if someone told you. And the response is amazing. People are like, tell us more. Come back next week. Preach to us. We want to hear about this. But then there's also a contingent of people who don't like what he said. The, the Jewish leaders, it says, didn't like that he was getting such big crowds. And so they actually plot to stone him and Barnabas. They push him out of town. And when they leave, they're like, fine, you don't want to hear the message, Jewish people? We're going to go to the Gentiles. They go to the Gentile towns. They go to Iconium. And when they get run out of town there at Antioch, they go to Iconium. And it says that they start doing signs and wonders. They're praying for people and seeing people here. They're seeing blind eyes open, deaf ears open. They're seeing people who couldn't walk stand up and walk. And they're preaching boldly about Jesus and what Jesus has done. And it's in that context that people start responding to Jesus. They start putting their faith in Jesus. They start trusting in what Paul and Barnabas are preaching. And then the Jews show up again and they're like, hey, get out of here. We told you about this in the other town. Leave. Leave. 
There's a plot to murder them, and so they, they, they leave. And from there, they go on to Lystra, another town. And it says that when they walk into the town, this is wild. They walk into the town, and Paul sees a man who is crippled, and he says, hey, you, stand up. And this man's like, okay, why not? You seem pretty authoritative. Stands up to his feet. And the townspeople lose their minds. Like, literally, look what it says in Acts 14. This is where you can find this story. It says that they thought they were gods. They're like, the gods have come among us. Look, it's Zeus and Hermes. And they're like, whoa, 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 we're not gods. And they're like, yes, you are. And we're going to sacrifice to you. And the priest of Zeus brings a bull. Like you just imagine the chaos as the crowd is like, we're going to sacrifice to our gods. And they're like, we're not gods. It gets so bad that they tear their clothes. And they're like, look, we're just men, but we have Jesus and you could too. What a door for the gospel to be opened, right? You must be like, wow, I'm sure that Thousands and thousands of people got saved. And there were some who responded to the message, but there was another group that showed up. It was like, they went to this town now, they pick up stones, and they stone Paul to near death. It says they thought he was dead, so they just throw him outside of the city. And then, this is the best part. So we're not 100% sure, was he dead or was he almost dead? But the point is, the believers come and stand around him, these people who have just heard this. And with Barnabas, they're like, be healed? And Paul's like, anyways, and then they go to a different town and keep doing it. So this is the context from which Paul knows these Galatians. You want to talk about skin in the game? He's been kicked out of multiple towns. He's been rejected by his own people. He's been made to leave what would be comfortable for him. He doesn't just get to sit in church and preach in the synagogue. They're like, no, no, get out of here. Go to the street corner and do it there. And he's like, okay, we'll do that. Goes to the street corner, sees incredible miracles, sees a move of God. And from that place, gets kicked out of that town. Then he gets stoned nearly to death. So when Paul, when we say that Paul has skin in the game, this isn't like, yeah, I invested once a week with a coffee. This is like, I... I was willing to die for this. In fact, I almost did die. In fact, I might have died and been resurrected. He has skin in the game. And so it's from this place that Paul, this is the backdrop to understand why he's so fired up. Because the message that he preached was a message of faith in Jesus that led to justification before God. That's what he said. He said, hey, if you put your faith in Jesus and you trust him and you invite the presence of God to live in you and guide you and lead you, you submit to his authority, you're right before God. But what ended up happening is that because there were so many Gentiles coming to know Jesus, the church was starting to grow with more Gentiles than Jewish people. And so some Jewish believers come from Jerusalem to check up on what's going on with Paul's missionary journey. And they walk in and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Guys, love the passion, love the zeal, love the miracles that we're seeing. That's, that's great. But uh, y'all eating pork? Can't eat pork. Can't do it. Hey, um, I know this is personal, but are you guys circumcised? Because you need to be in order to be in favor with God. And they're like, but that's not what Paul told us. They're like, yeah, but Paul, I mean, Paul, I don't know about Paul. I don't know if you can really trust what that guy says. You can trust us because we're God's chosen people. Like, we know what we're talking about. Paul, not so much. 
You can trust us, but don't trust Paul. And by the way, you need to be following all of our festivals and, and the law as well. And they come and completely undercut what Paul has told them about Jesus. They make it about something that it never should have been about. So when Paul hears about this, he's like, what? Are you kidding me? And you can just picture him. He's like this like father figure to these churches. He planted these churches in these cities. And now, instead of these people having freedom in Jesus and believing in Jesus and experiencing the abundant life that Jesus promised us, they're putting themselves into chains to try to follow the law and do it on their own. And Paul is furious about it. When you read the letter, it actually reads like a parent who's kind of irritated with their kid, but they're trying to keep it together. You know what I'm saying? Like, I came home the other day, me and my wife were out for something, and we came home, and the babysitters were like, hey, just so you know, there's a new mural on one of your walls, right? And we're like, okay, right? And the next morning, I'm like, Leo, buddy, I love you. I love you so much. And he's like, I love you too, Dad. I'm like, you cannot draw on the walls. And he's like, what? And I was like, I mean, I love your creativity. I love your use of color, right? But you're only allowed to draw on paper, right? Like, it's just like, what are you doing? And this is how it reads. This letter is from Paul, an apostle, right? I was not appointed by any group of people or human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. And then he like tones it back. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches in Galatia. May God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Because Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All the glory and honor to God. Amen. Right? He's like trying to, but he can't. Many of Paul's other letters, if you were to go and read Paul's letters, are very flower. Like at the beginning, they're like, grace and peace to you. May you say hi to this person. And by the way, this person says, they're very friendly. This letter is like getting right to the point. Hey, I've heard some stuff and it's not good. Can I just say, we need to be the kind of church that has enough skin in the game with people that when they go off the rails, we care enough to step in and go, no, that's garbage. Because look at what Paul is saying. Paul is actually getting straight to the point here. He says, I have authority given by God. So what they've been saying is nonsense. They're undercutting my authority, but it wasn't people that gave me it. I wasn't voted in. This was given by God. And then in verse four, he's like, hey, and by the way, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God the Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. He's saying, hey, remember what the main thing is. If you do this other stuff, you're missing the point. You're cleaning a room that no one's gonna see. It does not matter. You need to focus on keeping the main thing, the main thing. And we see two points here. We see this, that Paul, number one, has authority. Paul is defending his authority. He's making it clear in this letter that his authority in both teaching the gospel to them originally, the authority that he had in performing miracles, and the authority that he had in writing this letter to correct them is not from man, but from God. It's not from man, but from God. He makes it clear through his conversion experience, his source of revelation, and also his motivation as to why he's preaching it. What's Paul's motivation in writing this letter to these people? It's not that they follow his way. It's that they experience freedom in Christ. What's the motivation of the Jewish believers who are trying to get them to follow the law? 
It was that they follow the law. See, Paul's motivation is different. He's like, I'm not telling you this just because it's a good idea. I'm not telling you this because I want to have believers. I'm telling you this because Jesus set you free. And when you go back to this nonsense, you're putting yourself in handcuffs and giving yourselves over to the law. But Jesus set you free from the law, so don't do that. He's frustrated. And what he's saying is that I have authority for us today in, in 2022. You're like, what does this have to do with us in 2022? I want to ask this question. Who are you submitted to? Who, who are you submitted to? Who has authority in your life? Because we don't love authority, right? Like in the last hundred years, there's been a dramatic shift in authority. There's been a dramatic undercutting in Canadian culture of institutions. It's taken a hit over the past hundred years or so. So when I say you're called to submit to authority, what does that do in you? Like, does that make you squirm a little bit? Like, I don't want to be under anyone's authority. I'm under my own authority. I lead my own life. I do whatever I see fit. We don't love authority in our culture. But we need to realize something. When we align ourselves to anything, we are giving it authority in our lives. When we align ourselves to an ideology or a politic, when we align ourselves giving the news or people on Instagram or unchristlike ideologies and philosophies, when we align with that, we're giving it authority to direct our lives. And what Paul is saying in this letter is you will submit to something. You will always submit to something. And the invitation of Jesus is to submit to an authority that you can trust. See, here's the difference between Jesus and the authority of this world. The authority of this world wants you to submit to it so that it can sell you something, so that it can use you, so that it can get something from you, so that it can take advantage of you. The authority of this world is not looking to make you a healthy, whole, full-formed person. The authority of Jesus, on the other hand, in John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and give you life abundant. And team, you can come on out. I hear you in the wings. It's like a gentle flutter. <laughs> so what authority are we actually called to submit to? The first authority that we're called to submit to is scripture, the Bible. You see, we need to be the kind of people that when we're faced with a cultural or political or social or relational issue, go, what does God's word say about that? And if you can't find the specific context, what does God's word say about the principle of that? What is the biblical principle that I should be living my life out of? You see, in 2 Timothy 3.16, another letter from Paul to a young leader in the church, he says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's what the Bible wants to do in your, in your life. That's why God gave it to us. The Bible is reliable. It's God-inspired source for us to see Jesus for us to orient our hearts and our minds around his presence in our life so that we can be the kind of believers who are filled with him, filled with his spirit in order to live the kind of lives that he wants us to live, abundant lives, free lives, enjoyable lives. And this is what it looks like when Paul is talking to the Galatians. He said, guys, 
You're submitting to the wrong authority. And it's robbing you. You're missing the point. If we don't submit to scripture, then we go, well, I know it says that in the Bible. But I choose not to live that. Like, I know it says that in the Bible, but that was thousands of years ago. It's a different context. That doesn't apply to me today. I can live how I see fit. And you know what? The Bible needs some updating, guys, because it's so old and culture has just learned more. And we've moved on from some of those ideologies in the Bible. But church, we don't, we don't interpret through our own experience. We interpret through the Bible and what it says in order to receive correction, in order to understand how to live today. We need to rely on the Bible. Life abundant is what's on the line here. That's why we can trust in Jesus. The second thing that we need to submit to, and, and this one, this is where people are like, I'm out, <laughs> is the church and church leadership. Now, before you head for the door, I understand. I understand that particularly over the last 10 years, we have seen falls after falls of Christian leaders. We've seen good Christian leaders that we thought were the good ones have secret families, cheat on their wives, take advantage of people they were counseling, embezzle money. And we look at that and we go, how could I submit to an authority that looks like that? How could I submit to an institution called the church when it did what it did in the 1800s? How can I submit to an institution called the church when there were Roman Catholic Protestant wars? Like, how are you asking me to submit to that when it's been so corrupted and so wrong? I would point back to scripture. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. And listen to this, they are accountable to God. When a Christian leader falls, fails, messes up, breaks people's hearts, ruins communities, they are accountable to God. And you best believe that as a pastoral staff, we take that responsibility seriously. We look at our own lives and go, oh God, that is a lot of weight to bear. That is a lot of burden to carry. But God, help me in it. Help me to follow you. Help me to live with you. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. We need to submit to church leadership. We live in an age and a day where leaving a church is just as easy as going and finding a different product. We live in a day and an age where when a pastor says something, we go, I choose not to take that on board. But what Paul says here is, no, you don't understand. My authority is from God. I'm not just telling you this to get something from you. We're not just telling you to come to the Nova Dream Team retreat because we want to make money or because we want to have more people on our team. We're doing it because we actually care about who you're becoming as people. So we need to be submitted in a sense and an understanding that it's for your benefit, it's for abundant life. And the second point is this. This is what Paul is getting at in this letter. And we'll unpack this more in the next few weeks because it really goes into this. The gospel is the main point. The gospel is the main point. See, if Galatians is an adventure in missing the point, what Paul is pointing back to is the gospel, the euangelion, the good news. It used to be that when a, when a conquering army would conquer a certain area, people would go into the towns of that kingdom. They would open scrolls and say, good news. We took over this kingdom. The kingdom of Rome is expanding. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, he says, good news. 
The kingdom is here. I could have stayed in heaven. You could have tried to do it on your own, but I stepped into your story and I'm inviting you to take part in my kingdom, which is here and now. You know, I love Formula One. Any other Formula One fans out there? Singapore GP tonight, today? Yeah, it's awesome, right? No one else cares, but you guys, you're amazing. You know, if you were to tell me, Matt, hey, guess what? There's a race coming to Halifax. There's a race coming to Halifax. There's a Formula One Grand Prix coming to Halifax. And hey, they're doing a paddock pass. It's exclusive. You get to go in. You get to look at all the cars. You get to meet all the drivers. You get an inside exclusive all access pass. And I'm like, that's amazing. They're like, yeah, that's good news, right? It's only $15,000. I'd be like, well, that's not good news. That's not good news for me. There's no way I can afford that. No, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand. If you are diligent, and putting away a little bit of money every year, if you invest in the right strategy, if you get a side hustle going, if you figure out some passive income, if you pick up a part-time job on weekends, you could go. You could have the all-access pass. This is what the Jewish believers were saying to these Christians in Galatia. No, no, no. The all-access is there for sure. Oh, and it's going to be amazing. You just need to do this, 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 and this in order to be able to afford it. That's not good news. And this is what Paul's saying, that's not good news. That's not the gospel. Here's the gospel, that someone says, Matt, Formula One's coming to Halifax, all access paddock pass, exclusive. And you know what? Here it is, free of charge. And I'd be like, this is the greatest news. I get to meet my heroes, right? Like, that's good news because it's a price I could never afford. And it's work that I don't need to do to afford it because it was done for me. This is what the gospel is. This is what the gospel is. Paul's intensity of language from verse six onwards when he says, I'm shocked that you're turning away from that is because he's going, why would you want to have to pay for it yourself? It's like in a movie when there's like a rich CEO son that's like, no, dad, I'm not gonna take over the business. I'm gonna figure it out on my own. And the dad's like, I'm proud of you, son. If I was that dad, I'd be like, why? I'm going to give it all to you for free. Why would you struggle? Why would you try to do the work? It's not gonna even work for you, but I'm gonna hand it to you for free. This is what Paul is saying in this letter. This is why he's fired up because he's like, you can't afford it on your own. No matter how good you are, no matter how much pork you don't eat, no matter how much shellfish you avoid, and we couldn't do that in Nova Scotia, no matter what you do, you are never gonna be good enough. But here is the good news. Jesus paid it all. He came down into our story. He brought his kingdom to this earth so that you could have all access, exclusive backstage access to God. And you know what it costs? It's free. Put your faith in Jesus. Invite his spirit to teach you how to live. And like I said, we're gonna get into that over the next few weeks. But the good news is, only good news when you understand the bad news. See, the bad news is that we do live in an evil world. This is what Paul says. We experience it all the time. Racism, hatred, murder, envy, malice, lust, exploitation, war, nationalism, tribalism, really any of the isms, they tend to be bad. Have you noticed that? You don't have to look hard to see that our world's broken. 
You don't have to look hard to see that we're off track. There's beautiful bits for sure, but for the most part, when you look at the way that we've built up our society, we're like, it's not quite right, is it? And personally, we know our own hearts, don't we? I know. I know the anger that I got in my heart towards other drivers that drive in this left lane going 104, right? I know the anger in my own heart when someone cuts me off without even looking, going through an intersection. I know the anger in my own heart when my son draws on the wall. I know what it's like to experience sin. I know my shortcomings. I know my failures. We know that there's something that's just not right. And here's the bad news. Like Paul preached in Acts, no amount of following rules, no amount of checking boxes, no amount of doing stuff or doing work or earning it through how good we are or the bumper sticker that we have or the amount of devotions that we do or the amount of time that we spend in prayer. None of that can deal with your sin. None of that can fix our world. The only thing that can do it is Jesus. And the good news is this, that Jesus gave his life for our sins, verse four, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. What Paul is getting at here is that the gospel, the true gospel, is that Jesus stepped into our world, became a man, fulfilled the law for us, paid for our sin on the cross. He came to rescue us when we could not rescue ourselves. And if we place our faith in him, trusting him to change us and empower us to not live like the world anymore, to leave behind our sin, to not live in our sin, we are justified before God. We can live freely and lightly. We can experience the kingdom here and now. Here's the great news. He's as close as the mention of his name. You walked into this place and you're like, I see that in our world. Maybe you even think, you know, and sometimes I've seen the church be responsible for that. It's true, sometimes it has. Because we don't keep the main thing the main thing. We get off track. But let's get back on track. Let's recognize that it's only by Jesus and only through Jesus that we can do any of this well. So if you're in this place and you're like, I know the sin in my heart, I got good news for you. You can have all access, exclusive access to God. You can have access to his spirit, which changes us on the inside. You don't need to keep living in that pattern of sin. You don't need to keep living in your shame. You don't need to keep living bound up by the ways of the world. You can actually start to affect change, to be part of his kingdom. And there's an open invitation. So if I could get every head bowed, every eye closed, just for privacy as we look around. If you're in this place and you wanna, you wanna make that decision, you wanna commit to faith, you wanna place your faith in Jesus, trusting that what he did on the cross is sufficient to give you access to the Father. You wanna invite him to change you on the inside, to set you free from sin, to set you free from shame. If that's you, we would call that becoming a Christian. If you want to become a Christian today and place your faith in Jesus, could you slip your hand up high enough and long enough for me to see it? High enough and long enough. Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yep. Anyone else today, you want to accept Jesus and place your faith in him, trusting in the free gift of salvation that he gives. Father, I thank you for every person that raised their hand in this room. God, I thank you that it's not by our strength or by our might or by what we do, but it's by your grace and your goodness that you rescue us. 
And so, Father, as these people have raised their hand, as they've made this commitment, as they say, I want to place my faith in you, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come into their lives, come into their hearts. God, even now, start to work on those inner parts of them. Start to change them from the inside. Like the same kind of experience that Paul had, that beyond a shadow of the doubt, they will know, I have had an encounter with Jesus. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give it up for these people? So good. Hey, like Pastor Mike was saying, we have Bibles that we would love to put in your hand, particularly if you put your hand up and you're making a decision to follow Jesus. It starts with submitting to this. And so we would love to get a Bible in your hand out back. Uh, There's a bookmark in there that will help you understand how to start reading the Bible as well. And we would love for you to read along in Galatians in your own devotions and private time as well. Church, we're all done for this week. We're going to be continuing with our series next week. Go on out to the lobby, shake someone's hand, give someone a hug, grab a coffee. It's flowing and it's free. We love you. We'll see you next week.